1: around the country.
0: This is the
1: Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Erl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all you Islander fans, as the show is at 7 p.m. tonight after the show tonight it will be the Islander game and we will be doing our Islander pre-game show so usually we do the Islander pre-game show first because the game starts at 730 and then we do the weekend crunch right after the Islander game and the post game but tonight a special night for all you New Year lovers as we will be doing our show from 7 to 9 and then doing the Islander pre-game show Speedy Happy New Year my friend yes Happy New Year Happy New
2: Year to all the fans out there hope everybody enjoyed the. Their New Year's. Hope you already enjoyed their holiday season, whatever you may celebrate. Happy
1: New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. I'm trying to figure out what genre you're going for there. It's me singing like a Frank Sinatra old man song. It's me having Frank Sinatra's energy and then the old man. Anyways, it's going to be a great year. I hope everybody had a very good happy new year, a very merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy everything. But now the holidays are over and we're ready to rumble for a new year of sports as we are here to entertain you guys for the next 12 months. Oh, 103 point nine thank you to joe john pat and bruce and All of the people out there that listen to us. We have a great show lined up for you. A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to 12-year NFL retired wide receiver, our friend, Brandon Lloyd. Yes, he will be joining us tonight once again. NBA News, the Knicks trade R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly to the Raptors for OG and Anobi, Precious Akchua, and Malachi Flynn. Uh, He's not in like Flynn, because if he was, he was Errol Flynn, but that's (laughs) me. I'm Errol. The Knicks also interested in trading for DeJounte Murray and Pascal Siakam. So the Knicks might not be done. They might be on their way looking for more pieces to build when it comes to a championship. We'll see. I, I like what Leon Rose is doing. The Nets fined $100,000 for violating the NBA's player participation policy. So for all the LeBron lovers... All the Steph Curry lovers, all the NBA baby lovers, of course, the Brooklyn Nets are the team that gets smacked around for this this year. So it doesn't make any sense. NFL Saquon Barkley says he wants to be a Giant for life, but won't play on another franchise tag. Maybe the Giants need to wake up here and realize this guy is their number one option. He's their number two and possibly number three. Wake up, Giants! Did the referees botch the end of the Lions and Cowboys game? I would say yes. Is there trouble in the Eagles' line? locker room. Maybe that's why they just can't buy a win. Three for all picks of the week. MLB news. The Yankees interested in signing Blake Snell saying they want to make one more impactful addition to their pitching staff. Is it Blake or is it Corbin Burns? I would rather Corbin, but I'll take either one. Wander Franco officially arrested. Thank God they found him. Maybe he was hiding under somebody's bed. <laughs> Maybe he was playing the boogeyman from the new movie that's coming out. Moneyline Mania with Wes and Pap. Who's Paolo. World Wide West presents the Papoose of them all. Mr. Paolo. Let's get into it. The New York Knicks trade R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly for practically OG and Anobi. This at one point made me shake my head and I realized Leon Rose, I don't doubt. As Leon Rose needed a perimeter defender, one of the better perimeter defenders in the league, as this has become a predominant guard league, and the Knicks decided to part ways with RJ Barrett, and they bring in OG Ananobi, a guy that they've been looking for for two years. They finally pulled the trigger, and, and the Knicks didn't have to give up any of their protected <laughs> first-round draft picks. So ESPN and Sports Illustrated and all those issues graded that trade. The Knicks were graded it practically all of them at an A and A- and gave Toronto a CISO. And by the way, the Knicks are undefeated since the Ananobi trade. So, maybe Leon Rose has the little sugar and spice. SNY's Ian Begley reports that the Raptors guard, OG Ananobi, has been traded to the New York Knicks for R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quigley, and a second round pick. The Knicks also receive backup point guard Malachi Flynn and center Precious Achua. Ananobi is 26 years old and has a player option for next season for about 20 20- million before becoming a free agent in 2025. Yahoo Sports Jake Fisher reports that Ananobi could be willing to take a discount to stay with the Knicks. Ananobi averaging 15.2 points per game 4 rebounds per game and 2.6 assists per game this season. In his career Ananobi is averaging 11.9 points per game 4.3 rebounds per game 1.6 assists per game and has been one of the better perimeter defenders in the NBA. Last year second team all NBA defensive player. When I heard about this trade, I was shocked because the Knicks gave away two pieces that they could have used for a Donovan Mitchell or Carl Anthony Towns. But they have been going after OG and Anobi for the last two seasons. Maybe because he fits Thibodeau's offense or defense. And maybe they can make him a better offensive player. Maybe they can run the offense through him when Randall is gone. Maybe he's the second option behind Jalen Brunson if they decide to move Randall. But here's the problem. And this is why I think the Knicks made this trade. Their defense in the last two weeks since Mitchell Robinson's injury has been absolutely disgusting. It's been horrible. In every single one of those games, they've given over 100 points. A team that was one of the top four defenses in the league when Mitchell Robinson was healthy. For all those people that said, get rid of Mitchell Robinson, trade Mitchell Robinson, now you see what Mitchell Robinson provides to that Knicks defense when he's in the lineup. And the problem is, with the Knicks, their perimeter defense. Jalen Brunson is not a great defender. And we thought Quinton Grimes was going to be a great player. He's not developing. Emmanuel quickly started to develop, but his defense has gotten worse from last year. It's not the same defense. And R.J. Barrett, I love R.J. And I think he was developing into a really good player. But he was inconsistent. He was never consistent. He gets healthy, he starts to play well, and then he gets hurt. And then he's out a significant amount of time. He comes back, and he's flat for four weeks, and he can't do anything and then he falls out of the good graces of Tom Thibodeau, and then he's sitting there and he's riding the bench. This is a problem. OG Ananobi is going to go out there. He's going to play great defense. He's going to give you 110% on the defensive side of the ball. He's going to give you consistent 15, 17 points. He's going to give you a consistent five rebounds a game. He's going to steal the ball. He's going to put pressure on the best point guard or the best shooting guard on every other team, and he's going to make your defense look better than it is. When I first saw this trade, I was shocked too because I
2: really was thinking, if the Knicks are going to trade both Barrett and Quigley in the same trade, it's going to have to be either for a top big man or for a guy that you would think of as a general star player. And there were so many options available that maybe were less available than we realized because their teams are starting to play well, like Dallas, like Minnesota, guys that were rumored for in the offseason. But him wanting to take a discount with the Knicks once he hits free agency is encouraging because that means that he's committed to the team brand of basketball. He leader. wants to be a Nick, And it seems like he's embracing
1: Tom Thibodeau the a hard coach to embrace. Because his mindset is defense. And Tom Thibodeau's mindset is defense defense and if he could play all out defense and give the Knicks something that the Knicks haven't had in a very long time what has been the Knicks problem over the last couple of years is finding a top end perimeter defender that's why they've been going after Ananobi for the last couple of years the problem is is at the time the Raptors were still a borderline playoff team they're looking to rebuild now so after they lost Van Fleet they knew that they were going to probably have to start to rebuild they bring in R.J. Barrett he's a Toronto native he's a Canadian I've been hearing that they're interested in Wiggins another Toronto Native, Maybe they're bringing some of their guys over there and trying to rebuild around those players. Siakam is the big name and Siakam is another guy that the Knicks are interested in. Now I don't know what the Knicks are going to trade. They do have a significant amount of first round draft picks. Next year I think they have four or five second round draft picks. They just gave up one of them to a Raptor team that a lot of people thought they could have gotten a first round draft pick because it was really R.J. Barrett for OG because Emmanuel Quickly is going to leave next year. He is a free agent. He's going to want a big contract. He's not going to resign with Toronto. And if you look at what the Knicks got, Precious Achua, he adds the defensive side of the ball that the Knicks have missed since they lost Mitchell Robinson. So they're getting a big man that can play defense. He's a good inside-on-the-block defender. And then they add a Malachi Flynn, who's a good backup point guard. He's not an elite backup point guard, but he's a good backup point guard. Until the Knicks decide what they're going to do at the trade deadline, line, are they going to add another big name, another guard, A.K. Donovan Mitchell, which a lot of people after the trade said that Donovan Mitchell was going to reach out to Cleveland and say he wants out of Cleveland. Then you're hearing Miami's interested in him. Now you're hearing the Nets are interested in him. We all know where he wants to be. He wants to be in Madison Square Garden. He wants to play with Jalen Brunson. He wants to play with this team. He grew up a Nick fan, so I believe this move was set up to add another player that they're going to move forward with at the trade deadline that could change their roster for better. Right, especially if he does take a pay cut. If he doesn't have to get that third max contract, they saved on ten the team. million dollars yeah. trading RJ Barrett. And that's why they signed McBride after that. Right. They gave McBride thirteen million. They want their second team to be all defense. Hart, McBride, you could put OG out there on now the second Flynn team. Now Flynn was a good perimeter Flynn, defender. you have a good secondary defensive roster. And then if Mitchell Robinson somehow comes back in the playoffs, which I believe he will, if the Knicks go far in the playoffs, if they go to the Eastern Conference Finals or they go into the semis, he had ankle surgery. It was a significant ankle injury. Usually it's like five to six weeks with an ankle surgery that he got, but they went in there it was a lot more problems with the ankle. The Knicks are in the Eastern Conference Finals or they're in the semis. That's a significant amount of time. That's like three, four months down the road. Maybe Mitchell Robertson will be ready and then you will have an additional defensive weapon that you didn't have for the whole second half of the season. I may
2: also say that maybe the trade market is going to be difficult. Yes, Donovan Mitchell is going to be linked to the Knicks for the end of time, but the Cavs also said they're not going to just do it for nothing either. And it might be dwindling to the fact of right now the biggest names available are Siakam, who's a nice player, very well-rounded player. If the Knicks trade for him at the deadline, I would not mind it at all. DeJounte Murray, but it doesn't really fit for the Knicks. The Knicks have Jalen Brunson already. He's going to be another point guard. He's a bigger point guard, so maybe he could play the two, I guess. But still, the fit is not ideal for somebody of his skill set. Zach Levine's now still hurt and might miss the rest of the season, so it looks like nobody's going to trade How him How about Siakam? Anymore.
1: That's a game changer. Yeah. You bring Siakam with Jalen Brunson, you will have to ch- probably trade Julius Randle. But if you bring in Siakam, he gives you the rebound, he gives you the defense, he gives you the offense. Now you have a one-two punch with Jalen Brunson, you have OG. You can absolutely win a championship with that roster. And you might have some money sitting back if OG takes less, where you can bring in another 15. $17 million player to play with all the other guys. Right. And
2: especially if it's Siakam too. You, you have to imagine Odonobi's going to take a pay cut to do that. If the Knicks trade for Siakam and then they sign him in the offseason, now they're saying that Siakam is going to test the waters, fine, but if Adonobi knows that the Knicks are going to push hard to do everything they can to bring back Siakam, because the team that you're originally with has the first leeway in free agency. They can give you the extra year that the other teams can't give. So, if that's what Siakam, a younger player, is going to want, that helps Siakam's chances of going back to the Knicks and also helps Odonobi's chance of taking less money where he's not going to get a max contract. That gives
1: plenty of leeway to sign
2: Donovan Mitchell. That gives plenty of leeway to sign another free agent that could become available. It's
1: inevitable that Donovan Mitchell would be a New York Nick Could be at the trade deadline. It could be in the offseason. The only way he goes anywhere is Miami. That would only make sense because he goes with Pat Riley. He can win with Jimmy Butler. That team is built to win now, and I think he'd go to Miami for the fact that he can win a championship. He does not want to play for Brooklyn. He doesn't have a chance to win in Brooklyn, and I think he knows that. He would either go to the Knicks or go to Miami, or if there's a surprise team that comes out of nowhere, like OKC, because OKC has a ton of draft stock. If you bring Mitchell over there with OKC with that young group of talent that they have over there, you can win a championship right now. I still think Donovan Mitchell is a long shot for the Knicks right now, but I still think that if Donovan Mitchell forces his way out and he wants to play somewhere, it would make a lot of sense on where he wants to play. The Brooklyn Nets have been fined $100,000 for violating the NBA's player participation policy. The first violation of this came in the Nets' loss against the Bucks last Wednesday when the Nets sat four key players in Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, and Nick Claxton. Jock Vaughn also did not play Mikael Bridges, Royce O'Neal, or Cam Thomas after the first quarter in that game. Joe Dumars and the NBA did an investigation with an independent physician and said all four players that sat could have played under the new medical standard in the the NBA's player participation policy. Dumars came out earlier this season with comments about how load management doesn't guarantee how players perform or stay healthy throughout the season. Other reports say that these decisions to sit players could also be connected with sports betting and sports books. The Nets have lost every game since this incident so Dumars is pretty much saying that the Nets have something to do with sports books? I don't think it has anything to do with it. Now they should be fine because LeBron James has been the king of this over the years <laughs> and it's so funny because the NBA goes after the Nets they go after other teams why don't they go after the LA Lakers because Anthony Davis has been doing it for the last couple of years so is LeBron James why isn't the top players in the league getting punished for that? Is it because Lakers are the kings of the NBA? Because of Shaquille O'Neal and Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kobe Bryant or maybe LeBron James because LeBron James is the king as he comes out and says all the time that he's the greatest basketball player to ever live. No, you know what they're going to go after? The lonely Brooklyn Nets. Let's go after the lonely and little Jacques Vaughn. He was a terrible basketball player. Decent coach. He wasn't very successful in Orlando. As he gets fired, he gets this job pretty much on a whim because somebody wanted somebody fired. (laughs) Because the Brooklyn Nets stink. And of course the NBA goes after a team that's not any good. They're not supposed to make the playoffs this year in the Eastern Conference. They got a couple of good players. It looks like they have found a player in Camp Thomas. He looks like he's a nice player. We all know what Mikael Bridges has turned out to be. Nobody's heard of Ben Simmons. Maybe he's lost <laughs> in a toilet over there in Brooklyn. I think he's the like Ted highest scorer on the team. <laughs> Maybe he's hanging out with one of the Kardashians again. Who knows? This organization is being attacked by Joe Dumars because it's an organization that doesn't mean anything to the NBA. They're not the Knicks. Would you see Joe Dumars doing this to the New York Knicks if they decided to sit out Jalen Brunson or Julius Randle? No, because the New York Knicks are a moneymaker. The Knicks bring in money throughout the league as they sell out every single game, no matter win, lose or draw. They stink. They still sell out. Taylor Swift's a Knicks fan. All the Swifties want to see Taylor, not the Knicks. They want to see her out cheering for the New York Knicks, wearing her New York Knicks jersey, wearing her nice short dresses. I object the NBA. I object Joe Dumars for doing into an organization and a team that means nothing. If you want to make a statement. Go after the Golden State Warriors and Steve Kerr over the years. Go after LeBron James or the Breakers. The NBA loves to do this. David Stern, when he was there and he was alive and running the organization, do you remember the Lakers made a trade for Chris Paul? And David Stern made sure that he vetoed it. Because if Chris Paul went to the Lakers and played with Kobe Bryant, they would have won multiple championships. And this would be another avenue for the Lakers to win and cheat the NBA. And David Stern was all about the NBA and making sure that this was building internationally ever since Adam Silver took over for the league. He's let the league get tortured by the players. He has let the league get run by the players. And he says, if it wasn't for the players, we wouldn't have a league. I would say that about every single league. Why isn't all the other leagues when it's allowing the players to take over the league because Adam Silver is a baby and the players when you look at the individual load management concept have
2: definitely rested a lot more in recent years too because of the strategy now we haven't seen it to this level where it came to seven players in one game it's ridiculous with the exception of one at the end of the season last year the Dallas Mavericks and the Dallas Mavericks did not get disciplined the no. same way that the Brooklyn Nets have why because they have Luka Doncic they have Kyrie Irving oh, superstars. they have Mark Cuban as their owner nobody knows who the Nets owner is since they have the Russian guy was in the organization. The Nets, because of the second fiddle of the Knicks, they're not going to be thought of as that same way. And if you're going to put that down as we want you to be able to, I'm not saying don't rest players. Guard, Everybody's doing it. Right. I think load management has its part in some way, but we've also seen teams do that to extreme measures too and not get the same level of punishment that we've seen the Nets are doing. Now, if the Nets are doing it on a consistent basis in a larger sample, okay, fine. Maybe then you could start to investigate them for tanking or
1: investigate them for whatever sports betting connection might have with ownership. What an insult when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets. You're going to say because it had something to do with sports betting and sports books. That's what Joe Dumars is going to come out with and say, we're going to fine the Brooklyn Nets and say that they violated the NBA player participation policy because they're not playing their players. First of all, who did they play? Did it make a difference if they started any of those players? Maybe for covering the spread, but besides that, I don't know. They had nothing to do with the spread. The Nets right now are a horrible organization. They're not winning anything. This has nothing to do with the spread. And for Joe Dumars to think that that's true, why don't you look at the NBA as a whole? If you Have so much say on what's going on in the NBA. Why don't you investigate Adam Silver? Why
2: don't you investigate some of these other teams that have been doing it in bulk the last two years? The Celtics do it all the time. We haven't seen the Celtics get penalized or anything like that. The Clippers, when they got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they've done it a lot and they haven't gotten that same level of punishment, too. So I just think there's a double standard in this league that has to go away. Now, teams doing it to extreme measures to quote unquote tank is one thing, but also doing it this early in the season is bizarre for a team that has a lot of young players. Now, if there's something else within this investigation that we don't know about yet, fine, you can keep investigating,
1: but at least a these other teams in the same way. Investigate too. the other teams, the yeah. big name teams with right. the big players, the kings of the NBA, making billions and billions of dollars. Right. Instead of going after a young team that really means nothing to the NBA, it has nothing to do with the spread. Now, it doesn't hurt the spread to bet against the Brooklyn Nets. Absolutely, if they're not playing their players, they're obviously going to lose, and they're going to be under the spread. The only way that would be implicated too is if Jock Vaughn has somebody on the yeah, outside. telling
2: them yeah. that they weren't going to play any of them. A friend saying, "I'm going to take the Bucks tonight against you. Let's sit the rest of these players." that are allegedly going to play at the start of the game after the first quarter. I can understand that, but there's nothing specifically revealed in that. I think the sports betting angle maybe is a little lazy right now but just because the Nets are in Brooklyn, outside of New Jersey, near Atlantic City. That's right now lazy
1: unless there's other verifiable
2: They're trying to
1: drop the hammer on somebody to prove a point and make sure that other teams aren't going to do it anymore. But why do it to a lonely team like the Nets that have nothing to stand for this year? They're not standing for a championship. They're not even going to make the playing game, and they have nothing to build around. Why would Donovan Mitchell want to go and play (laughs) there? All of of a sudden is going to say, I want to go play with the Brooklyn Nets when I could go play for the Knicks or the Miami Heat. That's not going to happen.
2: Yeah, it may look a little suspicious saying we're going to bench our players after the first quarter. If you're going to do that, make sure you're investigating this for the rest of the league. The methodology was not smart with what the Mavericks did last year either. Resting four key players, same kind of thing. They benched Luka Doncic after the second quarter in a
1: spot where the Mavericks could have made the playoffs. The process still has to be the same way for every team. What the Mavericks did last year screwed the Knicks on a draft pick. Because if the Mavericks actually played to win that game, the Knicks get their draft pick. But because the Mavericks decided to lose and sit out players, the Knicks didn't get their draft pick. They didn't have one draft pick last year, and they're still sitting on their pie holes waiting to get one of those picks, which are all protected by the teams that they traded with. Two
2: more are protected this
1: year, and one of them is the Pistons, so they're probably not getting that pick No, <laughs> they're definitely not getting that pick. When we come back, Saquon Barkley speaks out, Big Blue is on his mind for life. Is Big Blue Mara? Tish. Dable's not gonna open up his pockets, but he does wear a lot of nice Jordan sneakers. Maybe he needs to sell some of those so the Giants open up their pockets. When we come back, why I believe the Giants are screwing this up. And also, is there turmoil in the Eagles locker room here on the weekend crunch? we are back ladies and gentlemen you're listening to the Weekend Crunch I'm the crazy man himself Errol Marks, my co-host Speedy Petey, remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7pm to 9pm, New York Eastern time only of 103.9 the LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network, check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com check out all our shows throughout the week including the Loudmouth, Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Find all the different shows and local listing and live radio shows on our network as you go to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Any of the shows that you missed, it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Spotify. Our show by itself, The Sports Loudmouth, is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and the World Wide Sports Radio Network is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. Oh my God, are we going to cry at the end of the season when we can wave goodbye to Saquon Barkley? Giant fans better start crying because Saquon Barkley could be on his way out. It just doesn't seem right as he's come out and said he wants to be a Giant for life, but he will not take the franchise tag again this year. So what should the Giants do this offseason? Saquon Barkley said during his press conference on Wednesday that he wants to be a Giant for life. He is eligible to be franchise tagged again for $12.1 million, but Saquon said that he would not want a second franchise tag saying, I don't think any player wants to get franchise tagged. The Giants were willing to give Saquon a $12 million per year contract last year, but that price will now go up. Saquon played 13 games so far this season and had 916 rushing yards, 4 rushing touchdowns, 39 catches for 229 yards, and 4 receiving touchdowns. Saquon was one of many scruntled running backs this past offseason including josh jacobs jonathan taylor austin eckler taylor was the only one that received a big contract signing a three-year 42 million dollar contract the giants are projected to have around thirty seven million in cap space when the offseason begins saquon is 26 years old and will be entering his seventh season in the nfl How are you the New York Giants organization? And I don't care that you can find running backs in the draft. You went out six and a half years ago, and you drafted Saquon Barkley at number two because you believe he was a game changer. You believe he was a franchise player. You believed that Saquon was the piece that was going to take the New York Giants organization to the promised land. Saquon Barkley, look at the position that he has been in the last year and a half by this organization as he has been one of the elite running backs in the last two years. And yes, he's injury prone. Half of the running backs are, but when he is on the field, there are not many running backs that are as dominant as he is. He puts up numbers galore for this team and this organization. He helps out the wide receivers because they suck. They can't catch the ball. Bring in in Hyatt and Darren Waller who can't stay healthy didn't make any sense in the offseason. As you're getting. Giving Darren Waller the same amount of money as Saquon Barkley. And this guy played how many games this year as a starter? And Saquon Barkley has been more efficient than Darren Waller ever has been for this New York Giant team? This organization has been a joke. The Maras, the Tishes, they were so respected around the league. They're one of the best ownerships in all of football. You speak about Pittsburgh and the Roonies. These organizations... Have fallen apart. The Pittsburgh Steelers. When was the last time they won a Super Bowl? Yes, Mike Tomlin is a successful head coach. Never had a losing season. How many Super Bowls has Tomlin won? One Super Bowl in 14 years. And I know Super Bowls aren't easy to win. Nobody is Bill Belichick. Nobody is Tom Brady. It doesn't happen overnight. And building dynasties don't usually happen in the NFL. But when you look at the New York Giants. And Eli Manning retires. And you bring in Daniel Jones. And you draft him so early... And you look at what they've given Daniel Jones of weapons and Saquon Barkley at some points was missing a significant amount of time because of big injuries. How do you expect to win when you are not paying your best offensive option? No! You know what you're gonna do? You're gonna bring in a washed up tight end from the Raiders who you're paying almost $13 million to play seven games. Does that make any sense to you Joe? Does that make any sense to you Dable? What is the reasoning behind the Saquon Barkley story? And yes I understand, oh, you could find a running back in the fifth round. Are we going to believe that the Giants are going to go into a season next year with no offensive weapons? Are we going to believe that the Giants are going to go into the season without Saquon Barkley? Go look at the New York Giants record without Saquon Barkley. You also look at all those teams that have
2: these later round drafted running backs. All those teams, what they have in common is they also have other good skill players. They could take that kind of chance. Or they have an offensive coach that's going to make that kind of thing work, like the Chiefs have with Andy Reid. I have Pacheco, in the seventh round and making that work the Giants don't have that whatsoever Darren Waller the trade for him if Darren Waller stayed healthy looked like a good value only trading him for the compensation pick they got for Tony but he hasn't stayed healthy he played fine in the games when he's healthy but you still can't trust that kind of thing when you don't have another game changing player on the field Jalen Hyatt is a good stretch the field deep threat but not much else developed in the NFL he's not a great route runner he's had drop problems Wandale Robinson is mainly a gadget player and you drafted him in the second round they have to be able to get either in quantity good players to compensate for that or in quality which the biggest quality they have has been Saquon Barkley. So now the Giants are stuck where they don't want him to be franchised because he's obviously going to get disgruntled again. He's already going to be losing trade value because he got hurt again this year. He missed only four games, luckily, but still, that doesn't help for his cause. 26 years old. He's not super old, but six years in the league, and already he's had two major injuries. So the Giants getting too cute with him again. It looks like it's going to cost them, and now you're going to have to play another game with him where either you're going to have to pay him more than he's probably going to get on the open market to keep him happy, or you're going to have to trade him and get nothing back. I'm so tired
1: of listening to Giant fans say... Daniel Jones stinks, and that's why the Giants are not good offensively. That is so ridiculous, it's absurd. There were people saying Daniel Jones had just as good a numbers as Aaron Rodgers. Now all of a sudden, he couldn't stay healthy, tears his ACL, season's over for him, and maybe his Giants career's over for him because the Giants think he's garbage. Any quarterback is going to
2: have a lot of issues with the circumstances that the Giants presented with themselves. They have a very bad offensive line. They arguably have the worst receiving core in the NFL. Not many quarterbacks are going to succeed with that saying, oh, Belichick wins Super Bowls with six-round guys. Because Belichick had Gronk, who was the most feared guy on the field. Who is that guy for the Giants besides Saquon Barkley? Gronk presented so many safeties to play deep, so many linebackers to have to double team, So him. many mismatches. Right. So LeGarrette Blunt could strive, so James White could strive. They could get away with that kind of thing. The Giants don't have that guy. The Giants were facing a lot of seven-man boxes because Saquon Barkley was the most feared guy. Same problem, problem the Titans have had with Derrick Henry recently, too. Derrick Henry's had some dominant performances, but it has not been as consistent because they don't have a wide receiver or a tight end that presents another threat to that team. So once the offensive line for Tennessee got diminished, where it was one of the best in the league, and now it's one of the worst, all of a sudden the Titans' offense is lackluster as well, just like the Giants. So they can't have that kind of thing unless you have another guy to garner attention away from that defense. And that's what makes the way the Giants have handled this process of Saquon Barkley so bad on Joe Shane's part. It's
1: been all because of Joe Shane. And that has a lot to do with ownership. They decided to move forward with Joe Shane and Dayball. I think Dable is a great coach. It just hasn't worked for him this year. Maybe because of injuries. Maybe because Joe Shane didn't give him enough weapons. But you cannot tell me you're going to give Daniel Jones a $40 million contract and say, because Saquon Barkley is a running back, and because I look at running backs as replaceable, I'm going to part ways with Saquon Barkley, even though he's 90% of our offense, as this offense has been one of the worst offenses in the league in the last three years. That is a huge problem. Referee controversy ruined the end of the Lions and Cowboys Saturday night matchup, robbing the Lions of taking a lead with two-point conversion. The controversy came on with which Offensive lineman reported eligible Lions left tackle Taylor Decker Who caught the pass Told the referee Brad Allen he reported Eligible but Allen still penalized The Lions saying it was Left guard Dan Skipper Instead there is also Video proof that Decker told Allen that he was the one Eligible and Skipper went Over there to say he wasn't Eligible Dan Campbell said He also told the referees in the pre that he would consider calling offensive line pass plays and to be ready for the scenario to happen. That play would have given the Lions a 21-20 lead with 23 seconds remaining and the Cowboys only having one timeout. I don't know if the game was scripted. I'm one of those guys, especially in the Super Bowl, I believe there were certain games where I could say it was scripted. But to me, when you look at this game and the situation and how it happened, you would honestly think that the referees gave this game away to the Cowboys. And I'm not saying Dak Prescott didn't have a good game because he outplayed Jared Goff. And the game was back and forth. It was such a great game. Everybody thought it was going to be a high-scoring game, but this game was a defensively sound game. And the Lions, a team that all season long has been explosive on both sides of the ball, running the ball and even defense. Their front seven has been explosive. Their secondary, there were a lot of questions going into this game against the Cowboys. And they showed up. Now, they couldn't stop CeeDee Lamb. Who can? What we saw on national television at the end of the game was terrible. And that's what I want to see from my coach, Robert Sala, watching Dan Campbell dance, his face turn red and purple, screaming at the referees. You saw Skipper running around, screaming at the referees. You saw Decker screaming at the referees. You saw the whole offensive line screaming at the referees. We told you that we were going to run this play. We were going to make sure that we were going to report and be eligible on the two-point conversion. And what happens? It was botched up. How could you botch up? Who told you what? Do you not know how to read a number? Do you not know how to read a name on the back of a jersey? Are you that dumb? Half of these referees in the NFL are lawyers. They own their own firms. They're doctors. You think a lawyer's going to forget this is a criminal case? It's not a corporate case, and I'm going to go out there and just say, you win or lose, you go to jail, you go to jail. Who cares? This is ridiculous. And the NFL, no explanation. None of these guys are going to be a part of the playoffs. That's not enough. That's embarrassing, and you wonder, if this happens in a playoff game, is this going to cost a team a playoff run, or a chance to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, and you definitely see referee bias.
2: And the Lions have been really scrutinized badly. Let's go back to the Packers game that Aaron Rodgers had through the Hail Mary and it the Lions. The face mask that was called there. There was a bad one against the Seahawks. There was a bad one against the Falcons. There was a 10-second runoff. The Lions, like you were saying about the Jets, they never get those kinds of calls. How could you watch
1: this game and know that the Lions did not get screwed? They were going to win the game. They actually did win the game. And then all of a sudden, you see a flag come out. The NFL and the referees, referees, Referees screwed the Lions because of that particular play. It was absolutely embarrassing. The NFL should be ashamed of themselves. And we've seen this before. The Saints and the Rams. Two of these referees were a part of that game, which screwed the Saints on going to the Super Bowl. Who knows? The Saints possibly win the Super Bowl against the Patriots. We go back to like what kind of national brand the
2: NFL wants to build. The Lions, yes, they're this fun, young breakthrough team. Great underdog story for a city that hasn't won a playoff game (laughs) since the 90s. They've only won one playoff game in their entire franchise history in the Super Bowl era. So you want to have a team like that to be able to brand on, but are you going to really surpass, oh, the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sure the NFL would love to see the Dallas Cowboys be the two seed, especially now that the Eagles lost to the Arizona Cardinals. They are going to be the two Yeah, going back to the referee controversy too, there's also two different other elements of video proof. There's video proof of Dan Campbell actually going to the referees oh, and telling them, it. we're going to go run this trick play if we need to on a two-point conversion. He also did mention it again in the first quarter. There's also proof of Jared Goff telling Taylor Decker in the huddle, go report as eligible, you're the tackle eligible guy, not Dan Skipper. And then there's video proof of that to the referees. Now, there's this whole controversy of Dan Campbell wanted to do both of them as eligible so Dallas didn't know which one it was, which is creative on his part too. He
1: should not be penalized for that. And that's what the referee's going to confuse it as. Know what guys' numbers are. It's the first thing you're taught. The Cowboys were handed the game. The Lions could be 12-4 and 4 and they have a chance to
2: have home field advantage. Let's say they play against Dallas again. They win their first playoff game and they go into the next round. They should have been able to be the home team if they were able to win their last game of the season against the Vikings. So if they play Dallas in the playoffs again or if they were to play oh. the Eagles hypothetically, they are now robbed of a home game against a good opponent. Like even if they didn't get the home field advantage as the one seed, they should at least have been allowed the opportunity to, be able to play the two. The NFL screwing them out of that seating and losing a home game possibly in the playoffs is not something that looks good for the NFL either. It is going
1: to be very difficult if the Lions and the Cowboys meet up in the playoffs for the Cowboys to knock them off. It's very hard for a top team to knock off another top team back to back times. That's only happened a couple of times right. in the last 10 years. So the Cowboys probably would have been better off losing that game because if they do meet the Lions in the playoffs, I already believe the Lions have the advantage and Dan Campbell will have this marked. He will have the Cowboys star marked on the board if they meet the Cowboys in the playoffs. The Philadelphia Inquirer Marcus Hayes reported after the Eagles 35-31 loss against the Cardinals that there is tension tearing this team apart. Reports have mentioned that it has been with A.J. Brown and head coach Nick Sirianni. starting after their loss against the Seahawks. Brown declined to speak to the media after the game, but did speak to the media sticking up for Sirianni and taking the blame for the Eagles' offensive woes. Brown also took shots at reporters for singling him out. When he said all his teammates have been frustrated with how they have played in the last five weeks. Brown said it is also false narrative that people are saying he is demanding the ball and is the loud one in the offense. Edge rusher Hassan Reddick was also reportedly frustrated with Seriani for his role in the defense. The Eagles switched defensive coordinators from Sean DeSay to Matt Patricia before their game versus the Seahawks and have allowed 26.6 points per game in that span. We all know who Matt Patricia is. He was the offensive coordinator for the Patriots last season with our friend Joe Judge. I think Matt Patricia was a great defensive coordinator under Bill Belichick, but I think every defensive coordinator that has worked under Bill Belichick was good. Bill Belichick is a mastermind. He's 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 a great defensive mind. And I'm not taking that away from Matt Patricia, but we saw him when he coached for the Lions. That defense was putrid. That offense was really bad. Is Matt Patricia the answer to taking over this defense going into the playoffs? That made no sense. You're going to start a complete unknown defense going into the playoffs. I think Seriani has been a very good coach in the league, but for him to change this, the way he changed it at the end of the season makes absolutely no sense.
2: You also look at this defense the way it's been for years. Ever since the Eagles hired Doug Peterson, it's always been an attacking 4-3 defense, and the last time they were 3-4 was when Chip Kelly was coaching. Them. And their defense those years were horrible, too, despite having good talent. Now, they have good corner play that's being misused. They have good pass-rushing play that's now being bracketed into a 3-4 defense, which is taking away from their role as a sack machine that they were last year. They had 70 sacks. And Hassan
1: Reddick was a big part of that. This hurts that. his defensive style of game. And Hassan
2: Reddick, at one point, was one of the top five guys in sacks in the league, and he has two in the last six games. So, he has every right to be frustrated. And same kind of thing with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, in this role in this offense, disappeared really since the 49ers game when he was the second best statistical wide receiver in the league before that they keep misusing him they misuse their running backs their running game has not been the same Jalen Hurts has been turnover prone and they've not adjusted to that Eagles fans that wanted of their offensive coordinator being fired I think it's getting a little more justified at this point I don't think it's completely San Sirianni but these new rookie coordinators that have come in with their other coaches going
1: elsewhere it's starting to become a problem you can understand why the Bills decided to part ways with their offensive coordinator and it's worked it's worked for Josh Allen but it didn't happen at the end of the season it gave him a little bit more time to figure out how they're going to run their offense now you bring in a new defensive coordinator with two games left of the season you're going to playoffs running a completely different defense where you have all these explosive players that are going to have to figure out how they're going to run this defense this is a bad move by Nick Sirianni if he was going to make this change he should have made it a long time ago if your
2: offense is really struggling as much as it has like Sirianni could just take over play calling himself too that's maybe the one thing I will blame him for but still most of it I think is on the game planning it's on the coaching we were talking about whether they played the Jets. Like, how bad was their game plan against the Jets? The Jets, who have no offense whatsoever, were able Absolutely to win that zilch. game. Absolutely zilch. And same kind of thing here. The Cardinals have no defense. It's been abysmal all year. They're the worst run defense in the NFL, and they barely run the ball. A.J. Brown is not having this, like, world-class game. I think Goddard in a nice game and Smith had a nice game. Fine, but they're not really game planning. It to the best of their advantage. And their defense, which the Cardinals offense, Kyler Murray's played well, but he's not an overly productive offense besides that. McBride's a nice young rookie tight end. They have no receivers to speak of, and they're lighting you up for 35 points. Something is
1: going on here coaching-wise, game-planning-wise, and late in the game, too. They're crumbling. Devontae Smith suffers a ankle sprain. If it's a high ankle sprain, he could be out a significant amount of time. If it's mm-hmm. a low ankle sprain, he's not going to be 100%, even if he sits out this week going into the playoffs. That's bad. And A.J. Brown, I have to give A.J. Brown a lot of credit. He knows how talented he is. He is a top-four wide receiver in the league. The fact that he has a problem with the coach, and then after the game, doesn't throw the coach under the bus, he didn't want to answer any of the questions, and then sticks up for the coach when he knows the coach was was absolutely wrong for what he did throughout the game. Says a lot about A.J. Brown. Says a lot about his character. For any of the Philadelphia fans that have said things on social media about A.J. Brown, shame on you because this guy is a class act. He is a classy person for him to come out and take all the blame for the offensive loves. A.J. Brown has
2: never been thought of as this quote-unquote diva wide receiver. It's not like you're dealing with somebody like Tyree Kill that likes to run his mouth. Devo Samuel loves to talk. His college teammate, D.K. Metcalf, loves to talk. A.J. Brown's
1: never been thought of that way. He's always been thought of as more of that humble type. They lost their identity against the Jets. As soon as they lost that game against the New York Jets with all the mistakes, you could tell they lost their identity. The Jets outplayed them in so many ways in their game. If you remember the Eagles last year, they were very sloppy at the end of the season. Maybe because Jalen Hurts was hurt. They crawled into the playoffs against the Giants. They exploded and then they changed everything when they went into the NFC title game. But if it wasn't for them knocking out Brock Purdy, maybe they don't go to the Super
2: Bowl. I think also the difference with last year and this year is last year they were playing more conservative because of Jalen Hurts and because they had pretty much the division locked up at this point. Dallas, their point differential was good, but they were never a real threat for the division because the Eagles were pretty much two or three games up the entire year. This year has not been that same case because the Eagles had that slump and even the games they won, they struggled in. The Bills outplayed the Eagles. The Eagles won in overtime, but they didn't look good in that game. The Giants scored 25 points on them. The Cardinals, they allow 35 points. There is definitely much more concern this year with this Eagles team than last year's Eagles team, and a lot of that has to do with assistant coaches, which, that's why I don't blame Sirianni as much, but Sirianni has to figure things out, overpower himself as the head coach.
1: And now, ladies and gentlemen, hour three for all picks for week 18, the last week of the NFL season.
2: The game that's about to kick off in about a half hour, the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts, the winner of this game, clinches a playoff spot, and the under is 47 and a half. This is an interesting matchup. I'm curious to see the Texans with their run defense against Jonathan Taylor, who's been hot in recent weeks. C.J. Stroud, how he comes back, he played well last week. The Colts defense is starting to play well too. I am going to take the Colts though. I think they have been very well coached. The Texans secondary still trying to find their groove from where they were last year. And the Colts receivers, even besides Pittman, are starting to play very well as well. So give me the Colts on the under.
1: I'm going with the Texans, baby. C.J. Stroud. I know they lost Dell for the season, but they still have some weapons. I think C.J. Stroud is offensive rookie of the year this year. He's been sensational. At one point, he was the MVP of the league. Coming back from injury, it took him a a week to figure things out. I think the second week is a big week for him because in week 18, he has a chance to take this Texan team into the playoffs. A rookie, give me the Texans on the money line. All right,
2: Sunday Night Football for the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins, 48 and a half. I'm going to take the Dolphins in this one, though, because their defense has played a lot better since the first meeting of these two teams back in week four when Buffalo blew them out with Jalen Ramsey. Even losing Bradley Chubb for the year, I think will still help. They've been able to stop the run a lot better. James Cook has been a good offensive weapon for the Bills, but Stefan Diggs has been kind of quiet recently I think is going to be able to shut that down, and I don't think their offense plays as badly as they did in the first meeting against the Bills. Give me Miami in this one on the under.
1: Biggest game of the week. Josh Allen has his name marked all over it. Usually a team in the same division doesn't win both games, and even though the New England Patriots over the years did it to every single one of the teams in the division, they're on the other side of the wrath here. I'm going with Buffalo this week. Josh Allen playing great football right now as an MVP candidate. You could probably say Lamar Jackson is the only quarterback that's played as well as Josh Allen has in the last five weeks. It looks like Lamar has won the MVP after doing what he did against Miami, scoring 56 and putting up four touchdowns. I love Josh Allen. I love Stephen Diggs. I love the Buffalo Bills. Give me Buffalo on the money line.
2: All right, so we're going to do a little bit of a twist this week because a lot of the other games are a drag in the NFL. Let's go to the national championship game instead. Michigan and Washington, the over-under is 56 and a half. Both teams undefeated. And even though Michigan and Jim Jim Harbaugh are the number one seed. I'm going to go with Washington in this one. I like the way their quarterback play has been with Michael Penix, the Heisman Trophy runner-up, and their receivers, I think, will be very tough for that Michigan secondary. I don't know if they'll be able to run the ball the same way, but I do think
1: their defense up front will make it hard for Michigan to be able to throw and J.J. McCarthy. I like Washington in this one. I love Washington in this game. Nobody thinks Washington's going to knock off Michigan. This would be the surprise of the year that Washington, a very small school in a very weak conference would win a national championship. And Michigan, who's been craving a championship this could be the last game of Jim Harbaugh's career over there in Michigan and as a Wolverine and he will lose again. I love Washington in this game. Washington's going to put up the points Penix I think is the best quarterback in this class. Him and Caleb Williams. I know everybody loves this guy Drake but I disagree I love Penix in this game to throw at least 350 yards in a very big game. Give me Washington over Michigan on the money All right, ladies and gentlemen when we come back our very special guest in just a few moments we will We'll be talking to 12-year NFL wide receiver Brandon Lloyd here on the Weekend Crunch we are back ladies and gentlemen you're listening to the Weekend Crunch I'm your host Errol Marks my co-host Speedy Petey. Go to our website at WorldwideSportsRadio.com check out all our shows throughout the week including the Loudmouth Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7pm. Great content great guests and crazy callers WorldwideSportsRadio.com. Apple Podcast to the Sports Loudmouth 45,000 downloads in two months. Shout out to all the fans that are listening to our shows, downloading our shows, the marketing team. Thank you and now ladies and gentlemen for the moment everybody's been waiting for we're very excited to introduce as we're going into week 18 and the nfl playoffs are right around the corner we're talking to 12 year nfl wide receiver he played for the 49ers the commanders the broncos the bears the rams and those new england patriots brandon lloyd Brandon, what's up, bud? Nothing much. What's going on with you? Seem like you're on a roll tonight. I'm wonderfully cold. I love the cold. Speedy hates the cold. Brandon, we're happy to have you on. How are you and your family doing? There was the flu going around. All these different sicknesses going on. You've been (laughs) healthy. Everything's good? Yeah, everything's
3: good. Been healthy. Got my two high schoolers in varsity basketball this year, so following them around
1: with that. You look like you could play another 10 years in the NFL. It's crazy. You look the same that you did eight years ago. It's crazy. And you got two high school kids. That's crazy. And then
3: just doing my nonprofit work Mm -hmm. with uh, Denver Tennis Park. So we're doing some kids programming and we're now the number one youth tennis provider in the entire state of Colorado. So we're serving over 3,000 kids.
1: Youth tennis. That's interesting. I played tennis in high school. My last year I was playing hockey. I was a pretty good hockey player. My coach told me, I don't want you to play any physical sports. Run cross country, run track and field or play tennis. And I said, play tennis. So me as an athlete, I said, you know what? I could play tennis. I could be another Pete Sampras Mm -hmm. or Andre Agassi. I went out there. I was Pretty damn good, believe it or not. That's because I just used my athletic ability to run after the ball. I couldn't put any backspin on the ball. I thought it was ping pong, so I was trying to do it like a ping pong ball. That didn't work. And all these great tennis players used to do was just hit the ball around the court and made me run after until I got tired. And then I was just done. I was like huffing and puffing. That's what they do to me. I was like second in singles and fourth in doubles, but I was pretty good. I played varsity tennis for the first time and never played tennis in my life. So, athletic ability, baby. I don't know if I'm as athletic as you are. Mm -hmm. I played in the NFL for 12 years and in one season, you were just as good as anybody that season. By the way, I want to give a shout out to you because I've watched all these different wide receivers play, and one of them that really stands out to me, Amari Cooper reminds me of you when you played at the top of your game. Amari Cooper, who doesn't drop the ball a lot, runs good routes, and he goes after the ball. I call him like a scooper. He knows how to scoop the ball out of the air and just dominates. He had another good season this year, and I think that when I watch Amari Cooper play, he reminds me a lot like you because when I watched it play at the top of your game you were as good as anybody in the league.
3: Awesome. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's big time.
1: All right, so let's get into it. The Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos have been absolutely horrific. They had a lot of highs and a lot of lows this year. And when they were at their highest, there were stories coming out in weekend. They beat Kansas City. They wanted to take Russell Wilson out. He wasn't getting along with the coaching. He wasn't getting along with any of his players. Not a coinkie-dink because we've heard stories about Russell Wilson in Seattle. Half the players over there couldn't stand him. We've seen Richard Sherman say things about him. Cam Chancellor say things about him. Marshawn Lynch said, things about him. What is it about Russell Wilson? Why doesn't he get along with other players?
3: Well, I think that when players go to an organization, we typically will take on, embody the city. We'll take on the persona of the city. And being that Denver's a blue collar city, Seattle also blue collar city, a Hollywood personality doesn't quite fit. I feel it's just a mismatch there. Came in his first year, I think he had almost a 20 person entourage that had access to the facility. He had his own office baked in into his contract so while the other players are in the locker room he's in this personal office why does he need an office to run the russell wilson enterprise and that just rubs teammates the wrong way and what that puts off. The other aspect, he doesn't come off very authentic in his approach and how he's communicating with the media. He maybe could be perceived as being a little fake. I think that the interesting part about this is his former teammates in Seattle are talking about it. No one said anything while they were on the team with him. (laughs) All this stuff comes out after he's off the team. So I think Seattle did a good job of insulating this. Personality dysfunction. Character issues that he may have with the organization or with, with his teammates. But once a player leaves that organization that drafts them, everything kind of comes out and the players have to start addressing that. So I think with him and Sean Payton, when Sean Payton got there, he nixed the entire entourage, took the office away. He was forced to go back into the locker room and be an equal to the rest of the players. And I think that was more of a testament to Sean Payton to have the guts to do that and then to go in to manage him as a player in the game. As I'm evaluating Sean Payton, the 1-5 start was horrendous, capped off by that disaster in the Miami game. But then the third quarter of the season was decent they go on a five game winning streak and things started looking good for them until the end and so in october the way that sean payton needed to manage russell wilson it appeared that they wanted to keep him under 30 throws was like seemed to be the magic number and so as he's managing him it's frustrating you can see him bickering at each other on the sidelines it's not the type of offense that sean payton was wanting to run and then that's what you run into when a new coach comes to an organization they have a vision on how they want to see the team run, the players that fit in it, and unfortunately, Russell Wilson just doesn't fit into the type of offense and the type of team Sean Payton wants to have.
2: One of the other big things was they're not starting him to make sure they don't have to pay him a $37 million insurance bonus too. So what are your thoughts on that? And just the general concept of these teams, especially now in this week where all these incentive bonuses are going to come out. What are your thoughts on the way the NFL sometimes nitpicks those things?
3: That's the way it's always been. That's just the nature of the business. When I talked to my friends throughout my career who were in the business world, and I would tell them some of these inner workings of what's going on, how they wouldn't send a defensive player on blitz packages because they don't want him to get too many sacks or how they don't pass a certain player the ball because they don't want that player to be in a contract here to come to the table for more money. My business friends say, wow, that's just disgusting. It's some of the most disgusting things we've heard. But at the same time, when they put that into context, they don't pretend like they've had a job where someone asked them to take a pay cut either. Put it in context, it's all relative. And so when it comes down to these players, it just depends on whose side you're on. Are you on the side of the organization or are you on the side of the player? So some people will stand up and say that they're doing them dirty and some people say the organization is doing the right thing by trying to maximize the dollars they have. They didn't put themselves in this contract situation. The new ownership didn't get themselves in this contract situation. It came with the purchase of the team. So as I reflect back on the Denver Broncos, George Patton is the one who put this package together, the general manager. Now, he should probably get 2 or 3% from the bowling camp <laughs> because there was no way this organization would have sold without a seemingly superstar quarterback, hot shot head coach who just got done coaching Aaron Rodgers to MVP there was no way this team would have sold for four billion dollars as it did so George is on the side of the Bolin family and making this deal and so he got the team sold and that's pretty much all he cares about now it comes down to Nathaniel Hackett botched that the first year and now Sean Payton's in here cleaning it up so teams do this all the time they give a player an option you're not playing up to how we expect or this isn't going the right way the way we would want it to you can stay here but you have to take less or you can try it out on the open market and Russell Wilson's going to try it out on the open market like any player should. You should say, hey, I'm going to take my money, cut my bait
1: and go out there and have at it. He's definitely having at it with Ciara. She's something to look at. I can tell you that. Babies and something to look at. I wouldn't mind looking at that every day. We're talking a 12-year NFL wide receiver. Brandon Lloyd played for the 49ers, Commanders, Broncos, Bears, Rams, Patriots from 2003 to 2014. Fantastic wide receiver. Great personality. There is a coach that you were coached by in Bill Belichick that a lot of people have been throwing to the Wolves this year. The last two seasons, the Patriots have not been the team that they were over the years. They won six Super Bowls. Tom Brady goes to the Buccaneers and wins another Super Bowl. And everybody says, you can't win without Tom Brady. But Bill Belichick, who still wants to coach. Some people say that he wants to coach all the way until he breaks Don Shula's record as he becomes the winningest coach in NFL history. But it seems like Robert Kraft wants to part ways with him. Hasn't gotten along with Bill Belichick since the whole Jimmy Garoppolo. Tom Brady thing. Do you believe Bill Belichick is going to part ways in the offseason? And if he does, do you believe he still wants to coach? Do you still think he's going to come back? And if he does, who do you think he is going to go and coach?
3: He's definitely coming back. He's definitely coaching. I believe he'll be out of New England. And then there's plenty of places for him
1: to land. Maybe with the Chargers. I've been saying this before the season started, that Bill Belichick was going to be on his way out. What was the team that I said he was going to go to? The Chargers. Just Justin Herbert. If you go any of the other quarterbacks, any other teams, nobody has the young talent and the arm strength of Justin Herbert. He's an up-and-coming superstar. He just needs a coach that can coach him and take him to the next level. It would be Bill Belichick who's arguably the greatest coach to ever coach in NFL history. I think
3: you're wrong because Bill Belichick is an offensive coach. He's a defensive coach. Now, it's going to be the staff that Bill brings to LA to wrap around that team, and I don't know if he necessarily has it. What Bill had with Tom was he had the greatest quarterback greatest player of all time on his team who wasn't willing to uh, blow up the salary cap by taking the salary we all know he should have been the first 350 million dollar quarterback eight years ago he could have asked for that money and it would have been warranted but what would that have done it would have completely blown up the team you can't play around that i have a theory when you look at all these great teams the teams that win a super bowl and the quarterback takes the money they don't seem to return. Roethlisberger did it. Aaron Rodgers did it. Mahomes did it, but they went back to the Super Bowl once, so it kind of blows up my theory. But most of the time, that's what happens. Tom never did it. What we're seeing is that with Bill, he doesn't have that built-in salary cap, and so now he has to deal with ballers, guys who want to get paid. And before, it was guys who were wanting to come play because they knew Tom was going to manage the offense. They were going to get him far to the Super Bowl, get him into position to win games. And so Bill can manage that team with, lesser talent with social deviance, with late round draft picks and undrafted players, because the players know that if they do their job, do what their coach to do, they'll be in the position to win. But the problem is with that is that they can't play anywhere else because they just don't have very much talent. So he's got these players really playing hard for him and executing for him, a style of analytics, playing probabilities, and it works. But games are extremely close and you need that game changing player. Which is Tom Brady. And so he was the draw for that team. So without that offensive management, without that game changing player, he's left to play a very conservative style of defense that is just ineffective. He's struggling finding play callers. It was definitely Tom Brady was the reason for that success. And I don't think Bill's gonna find it again with his coaching style being such an asshole. And I like that that is gonna clash with ballers, because ballers one are not gonna do what they're coached to do most of the time because they can make plays they're going to want a ton of money and it's going to be difficult for him to manage those type of personalities with his.
2: So I want to ask about the team you played for as well in Washington. Last time we had you on the show you were complaining about a lot of the things they did and now the sale. Josh Harris buys the team from Dan Snyder. What are your, riddance. What are your thoughts to that whole
3: situation? There's nothing to say about that. <laughs> we hope that they can move on and hopefully they promote Eric Bieniemy to head coach mm-hmm. because he did wonders with that offense this year and you can tell he's sorely missing Kansas City now with the way his creativity, the way he holds players accountable, just his personality. Hopefully he can get a good promotion there in Washington, and the team can move on. There's
1: really not much to say that hasn't been said about Snyder. I agree with you. Snyder is just the scum of the earth, and he doesn't deserve to be an owner of an organization. And thank God Harris takes over. The guy knows what he's doing. He still owns a couple of professional sports teams. He owns the Devils. He owns the 76ers. And now he owns the Washington Commanders. We are talking to 12-year NFL wide receiver Brandon Lloyd. Brandon, you look at the playoffs now, it is so wide open. In the AFC, everybody thought that this was going to be the best year when it comes to talent. We understand what the Ravens are. Lamar Jackson, I think he's the MVP of the league, especially what he did against Miami. Sensational. He really has shown up after betting on himself in the offseason, his mom being his agent, not going for the bait. I give Lamar Jackson a lot of credit because of who he is, and he stands for a lot as a player, and he stands a lot as a human. I love what he stands for for the Ravens. Everybody thought that the Chiefs were going to have a sensational year, but going into the season, they had no wide receivers. Travis Kelsey's getting old. He's becoming swifty. He's talking about retirement now, like his brother Jason. It might be a new era when it comes to Kansas City. I do think Buffalo could be dangerous. If they can win the division and sneak into the playoffs and Josh Allen plays the way he has been playing, they could be dangerous. But what is it with the AFC this year? It's just been falling apart. These young quarterbacks everybody thought was going to be great have fallen off, and they haven't been as good as everybody thought they were going to be. And all the offense last year has become defense this year. What is going on right now in the NFL?
3: And also the injuries. I think Mm. that's also
1: played a big factor Mm -hmm. into it. There's a record amount of backup quarterbacks (laughs) quarterbacks that played this year with
3: 15 this season the AFC East and the AFC South are like the most intriguing about this entire playoffs how the Miami Dolphins hold the number two seed but they play Buffalo Bills but if Buffalo wins they go all the way to the number two it's almost like the Miami Dolphins are kind of limping into the playoffs here and I think Baltimore is looking like the strongest team I don't see Kansas City bouncing back from the difficulties they're having with just playmaking in general I don't know how the hell Cleveland's hung on to what they had and Salvage the Joe his, Flacco,
2: their, their baby! <laughs> that's legend Joe Flacco.
1: Flackey, And he might win the Super Bowl again. Could you imagine him come out of nowhere sitting on his parents' couch and then he goes on another run and wins another Super Bowl and maybe gets another $100 million. Everyone will love it besides Jets right. fans. <laughs> we saw it with Nick Foles so why couldn't it happen? This defense yeah. is as good as any defense in the league. Yeah, and they've been that all season and
3: that's mm-hmm. what kept them in it. It's a fantastic playoff setup and then the Colts being in there. What is this all about?
1: It's just <laughs> blowing me away also. It's the legend of the bus drivers. The Indianapolis Colts, Mr. Minshew, the bus driver, as he drives his bus to the arena every single day. And by the way, he sometimes lives in the bus. So could you imagine Gardner Minshew hanging out in a bus, drinking a couple of beers with his teammates? I mean, that mustache needs to go. Brandon, who do you have going to the Super Bowl and why?
3: I pick the San Francisco 49ers Hmm. and the Baltimore Ravens.
1: Who do you have winning? I have the San Francisco 49ers winning. He's not going to
3: go against his Niners. Brandon Lloyd has the
1: San Francisco 49ers.
3: The Eagles are limping into the playoffs, yep. looking very pedestrian. The Lions and the Cowboys are looking incredibly strong. That NFC East is bizarre the way that's wrapping up, how the Cowboys can still win it. Oh. Commanders may get in the
1: playoffs. <laughs> it's been an awesome season. This might be the most open year when it comes to who could win the Super Bowl. San Francisco could absolutely be knocked out. The Eagles can't be as bad as they are, but now you're hearing something's going on in the locker room. And you know, you've been in a locker room. There's 53 players in a locker room fighting for a spot, fighting to be the the best player on the team and on the roster and you don't know what's going on behind closed doors because as good as this team was last year everything's just fallen apart for that organization they gave Jalen Hurts a lot of money they had one of the best drafts everybody oh my god they got all these Georgia Bulldogs look how good they are and then all of a sudden they just completely broke down they lost against the Jets I'm a Jet fan I couldn't stop laughing when the Jets beat them the Kansas City Chiefs should have lost against the Jets too this year and Zach Wilson could you imagine losing against Zach Wilson is right. I can't stand watching this team. I am a Jet fan. Four minutes into the opening game. (laughs) Oh my god. Don't laugh. This is what happens. The legend of the New York Jets. Four plays plays. after my quarterback runs on the field, lights off, lights sharpening, up in the air with the American flag and the national anthem comes out. He looks like Superman and he goes down like a ton of bricks. Thank you Aaron Rodgers for making my year so disgusting.
3: It seems to me like the Eagles are playing more ginger with Jalen Hurts since they gave him the contract, Mm. which I understood because he was so banged up at the end of the season last year that they would try to take some hits off of him. But now it's just so timid out there with them. Maybe they can ramp it up Mm. going into the playoffs where it's kind of like go out there, ball out, let it all hang out, leave it all on the field kind of attitude. Maybe they can do that, but that's still not going to fix their defense. Their defense is just struggling so, so bad. It's just hard to look
1: at. The secondary is hard to look at. And by the way, watch out for the Lions. That team is dangerous. And Dan Campbell, I love the veins coming out of his neck. I like his face turning red, screaming at the referee, screaming at his players. Looks like he's ready to rip his skin right off his body. That's what I wanted to see Robert Sala. Instead, Robert Sala puts his head between his legs and takes a fart. Sits there, he be, what do you want me to do? Throw the podium? I wanted you to do something. I can't sit here and watch this team look as bad as you do, and you sit here and say, our defense looked pretty good for three quarters, you idiots. And by the way, Steve Weich, for you to told me that Robert Solis should be a Coach of the Year candidate six weeks ago. Yeah, Shame dude. on you. I want to ask you a serious question. I attacked Steve Weich on this. I love Steve. Steve is a great guy. He's a great person. This guy told me that Philip Rivers is not a Hall of Famer. He says that Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning Hall of Famers. And he also said that Matthew Stafford has a better chance of going to the Hall of Fame over Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers has been in the top 10, top 5 in a lot of numbers in the NFL. Is Phillip Rivers a Hall of Famer? No. Well, the thing you mentioned about those other two quarterbacks is they do have Super Bowl. Yeah, so. but it takes a team to win a Super Bowl, I, I, Brandon. You're going to blame him for that? That guy played on a torn ACL yeah. all the way to the AFC title game. I'm going to give you credit because you played in the NFL. i I'm I'm curious the argument for Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers might have never won a Super Bowl, but if you look at the numbers, Philip Rivers has thrown more yards than Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger, more touchdowns than Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning. At least amount of interceptions than Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning. Higher quarterback rating than both of those guys. His numbers stand out. Now, I'm not saying he's an elite top five quarterback of all time. If you compare the guys that he were compared to in that draft, even Tony Romo, he wasn't even drafted that year. He has better numbers than him. And people still think that Tony Romo's a borderline hauler, which he's not, by the way. That guy couldn't win a big game if his life depended on it. He's very good at doing broadcasting. He'd probably go in as a broadcaster, but not as a football player. I absolutely believe when you you look at Phillip Rivers and what he has done. His numbers show that he is a Hall of Famer. It takes 52 other players to help him out to win a Super Bowl. He didn't get that. Lindanian Thompson, when they were as good as they were, he wasn't healthy that year. They always fell short. They had one of the better tight ends in the league. But the guy couldn't stay healthy at the tail end of his career when Philip Rivers was playing at the top of his game. I do believe he's a Hall of Famer. I think his numbers would show that he is. I just feel that nobody's going to give him the credit because he never won a Super Bowl.
3: How do you rank him with Marino? You you no, he he's, has had a better career than Marino? No.
1: No. Nobody's had a better career than Dan Marino. If Dan Marino played in these times, Dan Marino would have 150,000 yards, (laughs) 900 touchdowns. Dan Marino was unbelievable. Those Miami Dolphin teams were horrible. And his offensive line, I wanted to throw up when he was playing. The Jets used to try to kill him when he was on the field. And he killed the Jets because when the Jets had a chance to hit him, for some reason, the offensive line knew how to block.
3: How would you compare Phillip Rivers to Dan Marino for two quarterbacks who didn't Um, win the Super Bowl? Quarterbacks who are in the Hall of Fame. Who didn't win Super Bowl?
1: Dan Marino played in 242 games, 216 AVs, 59.4 completion percentage, 61,361 yards, and 420 touchdowns. Phillip Rivers played in 244 games, 218 AVs, which is two more than Dan Marino, 64.9 completion percentage, which is better than Dan Marino, 63,440 yards, better than Dan Marino, and 421 touchdowns to Dan Marinos. 4- Hundred I'm going to go with Phil. No, I'm just Phillip kidding. Philip Rivers is going in. <laughs> yes, I'm you right. Win. Give it to me, Brandon. You win. Philip Rivers in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's right. Like Steve it. Weich, eat your heart out. I should be on the committee. They tell me to get the hell out of there. Brandon Lloyd, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate you as always. and We'll talk to you soon, buddy. As he now knows, Dan Marino and Philip Rivers are close together in numbers. Thank you, Brandon. So long. The great Brandon
2: Lloyd. A man
1: of many sports,
2: too. Doing some tennis now. Kids I should are... teach him a little bit about <laughs> yeah, tennis. Yeah, you, he's with your high school varsity studs. His kid's doing very well in high school as well. And Brandon Lloyd doing very well for himself. And arguments at the end of whether Philip Rivers is a
1: Hall of Famer. Now I think he's a believer. Now he knows. Steve White, <laughs> Eat your heart out. Anyways, when we come back, some MLB conversation. The New York Yankees are interested in yet another pitcher. It is no longer Yamamoto time. It's the smelly-snelly. Bla- Snake Snell wants to be a Yankee now. And this Wander Franco story as he's finally found. And no, he wasn't found under a bed. When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. <music> We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time L.A. on 103.9, the L.I. News. Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth. WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Spotify. Apple. The Sports Loudmouth. If you want to tune in and listen to any of the shows that you miss, you can go there. Or the World Wide Sports Radio Network has Apple and Spotify. 25 different platforms. Tune in every single week. A lot of stories coming out of New York Yankee And it's not Brian Cashman getting fired. Corbin Burns could be a Yankee. Maybe it's Blake Snell. As Blake Snell comes out and said he would love to be a New York Yankee, Brian Cashman might be landing another left-handed pitcher. As the Cy Young-winning National League-killing Blake Snell could be a New York Yankee in just a few weeks. SNY's Andy Martino reports that the Yankees are planning an active January and want to make one more impactful addition to their pitching staff. Martino also added that Blake Snell is the most likely candidate as he is very interested in playing for the Yankees. It seems unlikely that Jordan Montgomery returns to the Yankees as he mentioned he would prefer to go back to Texas. The Yankees were the runner-up to get Yamamoto and would have given him $300 million before going to the Dodgers for $325 million. If Snell signs with the Yankees, they would have three lefties in their rotation joining Nestor Cortez and Cortez. Carlos Rodon, the guys that everybody absolutely hates. Snell had a 2.25 ERA, a 1.19 whip, and 234 strikeouts in 180 innings pitched last season, and won the National League Cy Young nearly unanimously. He also won the Cy Young in the American League. He was a very good pitcher in the American League East for the Rays over the years. Blake Snell is still fairly young. He's in the prime of his career as a pitcher. Now, I wouldn't give him a $250 million contract. I do believe he He was one of the best pitchers in baseball. He had a sensational year. I would say he was a top three pitcher in all of the league last year. Cole is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Since he's come to the Yankees, he's been really, really good except one year. But he also had 234 strikeouts. Lake Snell would be a great addition to the New York Yankees. Is that going to get the Yankees over the hump? Now, Yamamoto, they struck out on. I wouldn't have given Yamamoto $300 million. No. (laughs) And I wouldn't have given Yamamoto more than a nine-year deal, which Brian Cashman was not going to do. Now, Brian Cashman came out years ago and said that he would not give anybody a 10-year or more contract after Jacoby Ellsbury. Now, if you look at the Yankees organization as a whole, they have not been a winning organization for the last 14 seasons. They have not built... A good core of players besides Aaron Judge and now probably Volpe. Now, we'll see what Dominguez turns out to be. He will be back in August. He's a switch-hitting power hitter who's a 5-2 player. Blake Snell has a lot of good stuff. How many pitchers have gone to the National League and in the American League and won a Cy Young? Very few. This guy also pitched in a very good division in the National League and in the American League. But you wonder where the Yankees go. If the Yankees decide to not spend the money on Blake Snell, do they go after Corbin Burns? I think Corbin Burns is a better fit for the Yankees. Mm. Now, the Yankees don't have to trade anything for Blake Snell. He's a free agent, so the Yankees can keep some of their young prospects. But how many young prospects do the Yankees have left? They pretty much traded away a bunch of them for Juan Soto, who, by the way, is not going to sign an extension until the end of the season.
2: And also, how many are you going to have to trade, too? Because Corbin Burns is yep. going to be a free agent after this year, too. And the I would Brewers- just wait. They're not going to get as much value as they expect for him. Even if the Yankees traded their second best and fifth best prospect and maybe a couple of other low-level
1: minor leaguers, it's not going to be as much as you would originally thought. Now, Pereza is a guy that the Yankees might be thinking about moving. Sure. There was stories coming out that Corbin Burns, if he does become available, the Yankees would be one of the favorites to get him. But so would the Mets, and so would the Red Sox. The Cubs looking to spend money as Craig Council is now with the Cubs. And Corbin Burns has a very good relationship with Craig Council. It's all about money when it comes to this. Now, the Yankees are the Yankees. So, Blake Snell coming out and said that he wants to play for the Yankees, great. Everybody would like to play in pinstripes. It's the Yankees. It's Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Yogi Berra, Babe Ruth, Derek Jeter. But Blake Snell is a guy that's been injury prone. Now, when he is healthy, he's a dominant force. He's as good a pitcher as any lefty in baseball. Same thing, Carlos Rodon. He's a great left-handed power pitcher. He has the best fastball in baseball. When he's on, he throws 96. It's untouchable, his four-seam fastball. But last year, it didn't help because he had shoulder problems. And the Yankees signed him, and everybody was taking shots at him that he didn't fit. $27 million, paid him a lot of money, which I disagree. With. He's still in his prime when it comes to left-handed pitchers, because left-handed pitchers can pitch to their 39. Blake Snell is a proven pitcher. He was a proven pitcher in the American League and the American League East. But again, the Yankees have made a lot of mistakes over the years. They've traded for players that weren't healthy, signed players that didn't help the team grow. And if the Yankees make this move, they have to be damn sure that Blake Snell will be healthy for the improved important parts of his contract. Yeah, pros and cons. The biggest con, I think, that hurts him the
2: most injury-prone, but also inconsistency year-to-year. A lot of the times after his Cy Young years or his top years, he has a bad year in between, and that's been the pattern so far in his career. You hope, if you're going to give him a contract that's six-plus years, you would have to hope to get four good years out of it. Now, there's some positives he's played in AL East ballparks before, and a lot of the offenses across the American League, East, outside of the Yankees and probably the Orioles, have gotten worse since he's left the Rays. Because he's not a super-reliant guy on his fastball and velocity, I think he's somebody that definitely could age well. So, if the Yankees are smart and give him a six or seven year deal that's in the lower 200s or high 100s, I think the Yankees are going to make it work. I would not pay him 250. I think that's too risky. I was worried that the Mets might do that kind of thing because they struck out on
1: every other pitcher imaginable. The Yankees have one of the highest salaries in baseball, and they're going to have to pay Juan Soto a lot of money at the end of the year, but we don't know if Juan Soto's going to stay there. There were stories coming out that he would be more interested in signing with the Mets, because he loves Citi Field, and he's very good friends with Lindor. We've never seen the Yankees lose a top player at the prime of his career to free agency. Everybody says Robinson Cano. Robinson Cano was 31 years old and the Yankees were not giving him an extensive contract because they knew that he had three or four years at best left with the injuries that he had. So the Yankees also have to see the big picture here. A left-handed power pitcher, a Cy Young award winner that usually don't become available like this in free agency. It could be a steal, but again there's a reason why nobody re-signed him. There was a reason why he's right now at the top of the market because of the fact that he can't stay healthy, because of the fact that he can't be consistent as a left-handed power pitcher in the league. Three years with a 4-plus ERA yep. since that Cy Young year. And also,
2: when it comes to a left-handed free agent pitcher in the Yankee it al- Stadium, too. it also could demand more money. And if the Yankees get it where it's past 220, I wouldn't go any higher than that. That's why I think Corbin Burns is interesting. Corbin Burns is somebody that is younger and is much more consistent in that five-year Except last
1: year, and this would be a great time to make a trade because yep. his value might be under what they could probably get for him if he has a good year this year. Right. But again, he might not be available in his final year with Milwaukee because Milwaukee's going to probably try to train him at the trade deadline and get as much as they possibly can get back for him if he has a good season. Here's the advantage the Yankees do have being the Brewers are in the National League. Are they going to want to trade him to the
2: Cubs? Are they going to want to trade him to the Mets? Especially the Cubs being in division. The Yankees might swoop in as being that high-priced American League team and be able to do that. Now, the Red Sox will be on him too because they need pitching really badly. The Red Sox are going to be on everybody,
1: but it seems like they don't like to open up their pockets. No. They become a very poor organization. But we we look at poor organization as ranked 11th. Allegedly- That's not bad. And the Yankees, they hit on with Volpe. I think he's going to be a star. Aaron Judge, he's in the prime of his career. They gave him a nine-year extension. Dominguez, could he stay healthy? Could he become the player that they brought from the Dominican Republic at the age of 16 years old? They've struck out again on another Japanese pitcher. Struck out on Otani a couple of years ago. Same thing with Yamamoto. As we saw the Dodgers give him a 12-year, $325 million contract. So as good as the Yankees' ownership and the Steinburners have been over the years because George never loses on spending for players, Steve Cohen has turned into the new George Steinbrenner. And has it worked for the Mets? As the Mets have had losing seasons. Buying players are not always the answer. So the Yankees have to be careful on investing in another lefty who can't stay healthy. ESPN reports that Wanda Franco was officially arrested in the Dominican Republic for inappropriate relationships with minors. They added that the arrest came as a result of him and his lawyer not showing up for his summons meeting last week, leading to him going missing. The Associated Press reports that the process. Prosecutors also accused Franco of commercial sexual exploitation and money laundering during the trial on Wednesday. Franco paid off the mother of one of the minors and both Franco and the mother are now detained under house arrest. The prosecutors also told the judge to hold Franco under house arrest for a bond worth $86,000. Franco still remains on the Rays' 40-man roster and the Rays declined to comment about the new developments in this case. Here's the reason why they don't want to comment about it. He's in a lot of trouble. The Dominican Republic, the law over there, it's a lot worse than it is over here. The jails are a lot worse than they are over there. And they don't care if Juan Franco is a superstar here in America. They don't care how much money he has. What they know is he was messing around with a 14-year-old minor. And her mother, who he paid off, is being detained now. So it tells you one thing. is this been going on in the Dominican Republic on families, mothers, and fathers pointing off the kids to professional athletes or people with money. This is a huge problem and I watched a movie on people selling young kids. Over a million kids have been used and sexually abused around the world over the last three years. It's a huge business. And Juan DeFranco doesn't give a crap because he has a lot of money. He's a multi-millionaire. $182 million coming to him if it actually does come to him. And the organization as a whole, the Tampa Bay Rays, who don't like to give contracts, decided to give it to a young superstar like him who they knew that this story was going to grow lakes. They knew about this story before they gave him the contract. So it shows you how incompetent the organization is on throwing money away to players that don't deserve it. This is an organization that was very petty over the years. They like to trade away talent because they don't want to give those players those big contracts. And now all of a sudden, the one player that they decide to pay the 22-year-old who they knew that was doing things behind closed doors or in other countries that were illegal, give them a contract like that. Just despicable. The organization's despicable. And the League, they cannot let this guy play again. We didn't know the whole Bauer story, and Bauer got in trouble, and he still hasn't pitched a pitch in the Major League since that story, even though he was proved not guilty. I don't know how you prove them not to be guilty from this story. The Rays saying that we're going to decline the comment knows there might be something else
2: up, rather than just the three that we know of. You look at the one mother with the house arrest, that kind of thing ended up happening quickly, but there's two more that we know of that filed accusations, and it makes it seem like there's a lot more than just the three. Laws in the Dominican Republic stricter. I don't know what the house arrests are going to be even tougher to be able to decipher more information out of, but I think the Rays definitely know more than being able to let on. How many other payoffs are there going to be? With this kind of whole
1: scandal, these new charters that are being brought out too, definitely could be a lot more plausible than people think. But Dang. this has been going on in professional sports for a long, long time. Right? Wanda Franco is not the only player in history that's ever done this. But finally, the world and the government is trying to attack these disgusting predators. Wanda yep. Franco is a predator. I don't know what more you call him. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, it's worldwide time as Wessie Baby is is back and so is the Papoose of them all Papoose Palo when we come back Moneyline Mania as we call the handicappers to give you some winners here on the Weekend Crunch we are back ladies and gentlemen this is the weekend crunch I'm your host Errol Marks my co-host the Speedster Happy New Year! Speedy Petey listen to us every single Saturday from 7pm to 9pm New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 the LI News Radio Network brought to you by New Year's Sports E-Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network check out all our shows throughout the week including the Sports Loudmouth Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7pm tune in by going to our website at WorldWideSportsRadio.com and now Ladies and gentlemen, we have Wes back. Yes, he's back, baby. We have Moneyline Mania. We're World, worldwide. Wes and Papu's Polo.
0: This is Moneyline Mania. Witches and the crew. Is
1: Chaz still in Brazil? No, ladies and gentlemen. But he's sick now. We still haven't seen that man's face in almost six weeks. But we've got the World Wrestling Federation Betting Champion himself, Worldwide West, and Papu's Paulo. What's up, boys? How's it going? How was your
0: holiday? Good, how are you? Happy, Happy New Year. Doing good. Another big day today, but uh, Sunday games. One game that's going to shape up a lot of things this week is the Buffalo Bills against the Miami Dolphins. I see that Tualoa is going to have a big passing day night game. He's going to go over 271 yards passing. And Tyreek Hill is going to go over 94. Now on the other side of the Buffalo Bills. Stefan Diggs is not even going to get 60 yards passing. Josh Allen, maybe 240 around there. The spread, though, was at three and a half. Now the spread has dropped at two and a half. I think that this game is going to come down to who can execute better on offense. Dostoevsky's going to win this game. I'm going to take
4: three points, and I'm taking Arizona. I like what Kyler Murray has done on the field. I don't think that it's a fluke. What took place last week against the Eagles, a little combination of the Eagles not performing to their potential, but Kyler Murray was given a big contract for a reason. He's extremely mobile. He moves the chains. He can complete passes, and in the games that he's been back, the team is very different. They're competitive. They're moving chains. Kind of got to throw that Rams game out the window, but I like what I see. I don't think it was a fluke that they went into Philadelphia and I think that that was a confidence-building game for them. This is a division matchup. Taking points in a division matchup at home is always a good way to go. I also think that Arizona is getting some tremendous tight end play. One of the yep. best tight ends that we didn't know about going into this season. It's the last game of the season. Not really going to improve or hurt their draft. And I don't think that their coaching situation being as new as he is, I don't think there's any concern for this coach's job at this stage.
0: I really like Arizona. The Houston Texans. I think this game here is going to come down to the Texans' defense against the Colts quarterback there. If Texas are going to win this game, they win this game, they make the playoffs. Let's
4: stay with another three-point underdog. Let's go Chicago going into Lambeau. A
0: ton of public
4: on this. Justin Fields, the head coach. Every talk radio you turn on is talking about did the Bears keep Justin Fields? Did they draft Caleb Williams? But the dude is playing good football. It's that Bears defense that has shown up like the last seven weeks. And I think that that evolution is what's save Flus' job. I like Justin Fields. When he was being drafted, I thought that he was too high of a prospect. I thought that he caught some benefits of a very light quarterback draft class. But taking three points, division matchup. When you're a Bears coach, at least Lovie Smith and a lot of Bears coaches, beat Green Bay as their first goal. They haven't done it in a while. Bears got nothing to play for. They're already locked into the number one overall pick. Why not ruin Green Bay's day?
0: The Chicago Bears playing the Green Bay Packers. In that game, the spread was a three and a half. Now the spread is a three. I think Chicago's are going to go into Green Bay and win the game. That's going to be an upset. Tampa Bay minus four and a half. I think Tampa Bay is going to win that one.
4: I'm going to stay home. I'm going to look at Kansas City. I'm going to take the points. We do not see Andy Reid as an underdog very often at all. It is a three and a half point game. I think if I were Andy Reid's assistant for the day, I would put in my second-string quarterback or my third-string quarterback and play all my starting receivers and just throw the ball 75 times this game. Don't run the ball. We are not here to run the ball. Just throw the ball. Teach them how to catch. Teach them how to run routes. I realize it's not Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball, but that just makes sense. The Chiefs don't have any reason to win. Purely rest, and they usually do the right thing. But this Chargers team, they don't have much left. There's a lot of question marks about what next year is going to look like. I I don't think that Kevin Moore stepping in to the interim role did anything like in Vegas with the Raiders and and Pierce, potentially the next head coach. I don't see this team being able to produce anything on offense. The Chiefs defense is every bit about scheme as it is personnel, and their defense is deep and young. So I don't see the Chargers being able to score points in this game, even against the Chiefs twos and, and threes. And... I think that they do need to pass the ball. We will see the ones at receiving a little bit. So yes, you have to take my Chiefs comments with a grain of salt, but I try to be very realistic, even though the world knows I am a Chiefs fan. But taking three and a half points on an Andy Reid team that should throw the ball to get reps, the Stagnola defense, going against
0: not really anything. So I feel good about that. But the big game of the week, the college game, I went to Minot in college. I had Michigan. Now this week they're playing against Washington. The spread is at four and a half. I think this game is gonna be low scoring. The total's under fifty six. I see it under fifty six. I like Washington to cover the spread plus four and a half. Michigan is like really a big favorite in this at one point five six and Washington is at two point seven four. At one point five six You're not going to take Michigan on the money line. It's better to take Washington the plus four and a half. Getting down to soccer, on Sunday, I like Juventus. Juventus is really getting stronger. They should be selling in I think Roma, even though they're trading at 3.4, they should score a goal. And then in a Greek game on Sunday, I mean, this this game's going to be a blowout. It's going to be over and a and over. is going to score like goals and just walk all over that team. And I don't look at odds. As long as I get value and I win, that's it. Only Bianco is playing a very big game at home and they're trading at 2.7. They haven't won the past two, but I can see them this week winning this big derby at 2.7. 5.7 value. The Australian Open opens next Saturday. Everybody's putting all their money on Swiatek to win the tournament, but she ain't gonna win the tournament. I see Zabalenka 5.9 on the men's side. Djokovic is a big favorite, 2.1. I don't, I don't bet favorites like that. in tennis.
4: I'm going to go to a hockey game that's happening here shortly. 10 o'clock Eastern puck drop, but I'm looking at Islanders and, and Vegas. This is a really banged up Vegas Golden Knights team. Looking at the action, there is a lot of action on the money line taking the Islanders in this one. Vegas is at home. They're usually pretty tough at the Fortress, but this Islanders roster is the kind of roster that, that beats Vegas. And I'm going to take the pucks here. I'm going to take the one and a half, and I'm going to take the Islanders. I do think the Islanders win outright, but you know, normally when there's a lot of action on one side, I tend to be cautious. But this is a really banged-up Vegas team, and I think that we're seeing some Stanley Cup fatigue. It's only natural, so I'm going with the Islanders in this one. They're playing well, getting really good goalie play, and this is kind of a dead zone time this next three to four weeks in the nhl teams are racking up wins and points but crazy we're about a month away from you know what becomes the big playoff push
0: all dogs. the rangers are still dominating the rangers are playing montreal i can see them scoring six goals the over six and a half, there's going to be goals in that game. And the Rangers, right now, if you look at all the teams, they can beat the Bruins, they can beat Florida, Carolina, all that, like a, they can beat Colorado. The Rangers, still the favorite,
2: Wes. Paul, happy New Year! Welcome back. Thank you for joining us tonight.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Nice evening, yeah, it was yep. a pleasure. The greatest
1: handicappers of the century, ladies and gentlemen, worldwide, Wes and Papoos Palo. They're fantastic, Speedy. They really are. Yep. Happy New Year. Happy yeah. New Year for all the fans that were betting on their picks. 71%. Beautiful. Yes. Happy New Year to both of them as well. Happy New
2: Year to all the fans out there. And uh, giving a little local hockey action as well, too. Wes, go with the Islanders tonight. That's, That's right. Vegas. right. Vegas. right. Papoose Palo picking the Rangers from the start to win the Stanley Cup. Hopefully that holds true, because when Wes picked it last year, it didn't work.
1: Mr. Polo and Wes are completely wrong. It's not going to be the Rangers this year. But hey, listen, the Rangers are playing good hockey, and they're going to win the Metro, no matter what. But it doesn't matter how hot those teams are, they're going to win. Anyways, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we do this every single week. Curl time here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Arrow Marks, my co-host, the Speedstar! You should be listening to us every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only on 103.9 the L.I. News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Guys, I'm just in a happy mood. It's New Year's and we're enjoying ourselves. It's a wonderful year. It's big things, baby. Big things! But anyways, you should be listening and tuning into all our shows throughout the week by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth, which is live every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you gotta do is... T- Tick tock, tick tock, and smack by going to our URL, our website, www.worldbidesportsradio.com, and check out all our shows throughout the week. Oh, my God, it's been a great show. Thank you to Brandon Lloyd. Fantastic as we made him laugh. And yes. by the way, I proved him wrong <laughs> once again. All these ex athletes, come on, guys, you should be listening to us even more, knowing that I just outsmart you guys. Throughout the, year. I'm just kidding, Brandon. We love you. <laughs> Thank you to Brandon Lloyd. He's always fantastic. All our guests always fantastic. For our new year, our first guest of the new year. Why not have him? one of the greats, one of our greats, Brandon Lloyd? Thank you to Papoose Paulo and our friend Worldwide West for Moneyline Mania. Thank you to all the fans out there that have been tuning into us and giving us a chance to entertain you. And, and by the way, after the show, we will be doing the pregame show. Yes, our new Saturday time, ladies and gentlemen, after 9.30. We will be doing a 20-minute pregame show right after our show. Tune in. We'll give you the Islanders. We'll give you our thoughts to the Islanders. But yeah, the show is almost over this week. It's unbelievable. Anyways, we call this segment every single week crunch time
0: it's time for crunch time
2: well, it's crunch time for these two teams in the national championship. We will start there. We're going to start with the running backs, though. Blake Corum and Dylan Johnson have a
1: hundred rushing yards. In this Absolutely, game. buy it. I love both of them. Both of them are stars. I love everything to do with their, both their offenses, especially Michigan's running game. It's one of the best in the nation. And Washington, they could do everything beautifully, especially. On the offensive side of the ball. Give me both of them going over 100. I'm going to buy it.
2: I'm going to sell that one just because I think Michigan's front is very tough. I think Dylan Johnson will do more in the receiving end. I definitely think Coram does. If there's any weakness to this Washington team, it is their run defense. But I think Washington will be throwing the ball a lot more. So I am going to sell that one. All right, let's go to the Dolphins-Bills matchup. Both Josh Allen and Tua have 250 passing yards and two touchdowns.
1: I buy it. I think both guys are going to be throwing the ball all over the place. I would say Tua probably, out of both of them, might not. But I think Tua is going to play a big game. It's going to be at home, Dick. He's going to have to put big numbers if they expect to beat this Buffalo defense. So I'm going to buy it.
2: That one I'll sell because I think Josh Allen is going to have the yards. I think he could have the touchdowns. I think he's going to run the ball a lot more in this game against this Dolphins front that isn't as good. Tua, I do think, will be able to stretch the field a lot more on this Bills team. I don't know if he'll get the touchdowns, though, because I do think the running game has still been very prevalent. But I am going to sell one, I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. All right, let's go to the NBA. The Knicks will get
1: one of Pascal Siakam, Donovan Mitchell, or DeJounte Murray at the trade deadline. I'm going to buy that. I'm, I'm all about buying today. I think one of them will be a Nick. More than likely, Donovan Mitchell, because Donovan Mitchell wants to go there, and I think he's going to push his way to New York. So I am going to buy it. I'm gonna buy it too, but I think it's more likely gonna be Siakam. And I think in this case, especially
2: with Ananobi now there, Ananobi said he wants to take a discount there. Those two like playing with each other too, and I I think the Raptors are gonna lose value eventually because it seems like Siakam want to enter free agency no matter what. So I think with the Knicks having a lot of draft picks still left, they only traded one of them in the first trade. So I think it'll be Siakam. They traded a
1: second round pick, right?
2: Only a second round pick. They still have a bunch of first round picks left. And if you want to get rid of all those "quote unquote" protected picks, why not do it in that kind of deal? So uh, I'm gonna buy that one. All right, let's go back to the national
1: championship. Both teams will score over 30 points. I'm going to sell that. I don't think both teams are going to score over 30 points. I think Washington will score over 30 points. Michigan won't I think Washington's the better offensive team, so I'm going to sell that.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too. I think J.J. McCarthy is going to have some costly turnovers in this game. I don't think he'll be able to stretch the field the same way, especially with the offensive line injuries for Michigan now, too. I agree with you. Washington definitely will. I think that passing attack is too prevalent, but I don't think Michigan does. I am going to sell that. All right, let's go to the NHL. Former Ranger Alexander Georgiev
1: has the most wins in the regular season right now. Buy or sell? It will stay that way with the Colorado Avalanche. I'm going to sell that. Now, Colorado's playing great hockey right now, but there's a couple of goalies playing very well. Well, Talbot, who, who's another X ranger playing yep. very, very well. These X ranger goaltenders always finding a way to win games and, and become better goalies after they leave New York. So I am going to sell that.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too. Their kid, Fransu, is also another very good guy that is a platoon guy. And Georgiev's numbers are not overly great, either. It's a 2.8 goals against average, 8.98 save percentage. It's not amazing numbers where he's going to get all that full-time work, either. So I am going to agree with you. I am going to sell that one. All right, back to the Bills-Dolphins game. Both Raheem Mostert and James Cook have over 80-plus rushing yards and a touchdown.
1: I'm going to sell that. I don't think most start will. Buffalo's defense, especially in the front seven, has been very, very good in the, the last five games. They've been run stoppers, and maybe Cook will, because Cook has been running the ball very, very well the last couple of weeks, and I don't trust Miami's defense in the front seven, because they've been laxing days ago against faster, up-the-middle type of running back, so I am going to sell that.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think this is a tougher matchup for Cook up front, because he does run a lot more on the edges, and I think Miami's going to be have to overcompensate. Vic Fangio is going to do very well coaching that kind of thing. I think this is his first bad game really since they changed coordinators, and most are the same kind of thing too. He's dealing with a lot of injuries, so I am going to sell that. All right, buy or sell.
1: Blake Snell will go to the Mets or the Yankees. It seems like it's inevitable. He's going to go to one or the other. I think he's probably going to the Yankees. He's come out and said that he wants to be Yankee. If the Yankees decide they don't want him, he goes to the Mets. The Mets always get the Yankee slappy second, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell
2: that one. I think the Yankees are going to get Corbin Burns. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. I think it makes sense for them to trade for him. Blake Snell is also a West Coast guy. I feel like that could be a move for a team like the Giants, a team that's been desperate for moves for a while that could use pitching. Um, I think there definitely is a team in the West that would pay him. I don't think the Dodgers, but I think the Giants, I will sell that one. All right, let's go to both quarterbacks, Michael Penix and McCarthy. 250 yards and two touchdowns.
1: I'm going to buy it. McCarthy's going to put up some kind of numbers. I don't know if he gets over 300, but he'll get over 250, and I think he's going to be able to put decent numbers up. I think Penix is definitely going to go over 250 yards, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy
2: it, too. I think you definitely both get the yardage. I think the difference will be McCarthy will just have more turnovers. Penix is a lot smarter with the ball. I will
1: buy it. All right, last one. Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs both have six catches and 100 yards. I'm going to buy it. Both guys are explosive. Both guys that need to put up numbers for both their respectable teams. Tyreek Hill seems to always get over 100 yards, and Stefan Diggs has been explosive the last couple of weeks. I think Josh Allen will give him the ball, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell that one. Jalen Ramsey didn't play in the first
2: meeting against the Bills. I think Stefan Diggs is going to have a tougher time. He hasn't really been as prevalent in the offense as well the last couple of months or so. not the same
1: Jalen Ramsey. It's not
2: the same Jalen Ramsey, but I think, I think this new offensive coordinator, they've been able to decoy away from Diggs when teams have been able to shut him down, and I don't think the Dolphins with Vic Fangio is going to be any different. So that one I'll disagree with you. I will sell it.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, happy new year. Enjoy the Islander game him. I will. Hopefully the Islanders pull off another win and squeeze right by Carolina. And hopefully this doesn't go to overtime or they have a 4-1 lead going into the third period because they usually lose those games. So maybe if they're losing in the third period and they come back and win, that would make more sense. But Islander fans, enjoy the game. Thank you to Brandon Lloyd. Thank you to all the fans out there. Thank you to Papu's Palo and Worldwide Wide West for joining us, Moneyline Mania. Thank you to everybody that tunes in to us. And keep listening to us. We like to entertain you guys. I love to make you guys laugh. And all the kids out there and all the sports fans, you should be tuning in to us because we know our sports and we love to entertain. We're the best of the best. So tune in every single week. The Weekend Crunch and the Sports Loudmouth on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll talk to you in a few moments as we'll be doing the Islander pre Game Show. Good night, everybody.